This podcast is brought to you by UK Coaching, here for the coach. Visit ukcoaching.org to grow your coaching skills and be part of the community. Hello and welcome to another UK Coaching podcast. This is one of the Coach Developer podcasts and today we're going to explore a little bit the um, the, the sports that are coming into the Olympics, such as surfing, sport climbing and skateboarding, that perhaps have got quite different sort of cultural and social backgrounds to our more traditional sports. And I'm going to be talking to Leslie McKenna from GB um, Snow Sports, <laughs> I hope I've got that right, <laughs> uh, about this because uh, obviously she's involved in a sport that that is very much like these action and lifestyle sports, but has been an Olympic sport for a considerable amount of time. So welcome, Leslie. And can you just give us a quick introduction? Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to be here. Um, yeah, my name's Leslie McKenna. I was very, very lucky to grow up in Aviemore in the Highlands of Scotland, and also lucky that my parents were really keen on lots of different outdoor sports, so I had the chance to, to do everything from skiing to paddle sports to sailing to biking in the woods. And when I was growing up, I fell madly in love with snow sports, started off my, my uh, club um, experiences, shall we say, on the Cairngorm Ski Club and ended up alpine ski racing for a good number of years until I decided that snowboarding was even more fun <laughs> and um, embarked on my second snow sport career in my early 20s and that took me on to competing in three Olympics in snowboard halfpipe and then on to coaching and snowboarding and then win three Olympic medals in the last few Olympics, which was yeah, even a surprise to us, although we did have a good plan. And here I am. Now I'm, I'm a coach developer and just really enjoying getting stuck into to that that side of work. Great. Thank you. Uh, I, and um, your, your coach developer stuff is snow sports, isn't it? So it's not just the um, the snowboarding. And yeah. I, so I'm... Yeah, so GB Snow Sports is very much at the, the start of their coach developer journey. So I'm, I'm um, helping them find a direction and, you know, really find what works in, in um, snow sports in terms of how to approach developing coaches. And then I'm also working within the, the Sports Scotland and UK Sports system as a coach developer as well. So I've got a, um, a number of hats I'm wearing at the moment, but that's not unusual for me. Throughout my life, I've always had a, a few different hats. I don't have a problem with role multiplicity as long as you, you know, you keep an eye on the boundaries kind of thing. Great. Thank you. And um, you've recently written an article, a blog article about, you know, sort of, really um from your experience of being in a, another action sport what you think um maybe some of the uh, implications might be for sports like uh, surfing and sport climbing and skateboarding becoming an olympic sport could you just give us a quick um maybe just let us know why why you chose to write that and um yeah a little a little overview <laughs> so i, I wrote a, a blog for looking sideways um, which is Matt Barr, who's a friend of mine and, and actually a person who I did some of my first snowboard seasons with way back in the, the mists of the 90s um, when I jumped from alpine skiing to snowboarding. And 
um, since then. So really snowboarding has been on it, or freestyle snowboarding, halfpipe snowboarding in particular, has been on its Olympic journey since the mid-90s. So when I first started snowboard competition, I went into to racing us on snowboards. So I jumped from alpine skiing to alpine snowboarding, which is racing around gates. Very quickly, I thought, I'm actually over going around gates. I really like this trick, learning tricks, and I like to, you know, be creative and learn from my environment and learn from others. And the, the whole really rich culture that came along with freestyle snowboarding at the time, um, I just dived into it. And so quickly, because I had gone from being a Europa Cup alpine skier to a World Cup alpine snowboarder with a chance to qualify even although you know the whole thing sounds ridiculous now I had a year to do it to transfer the skills I came really close I think I was one spot away from making it and and was really close to the conversation at the time of whether snowboarding should be an Olympic sport or not and you know you're talking about 96 97 snowboarding was a demonstration sport in the 1998 Nagano Olympics and at the time, alpine snowboarding was, was really big. There was an um, ISF, so International Snowboard Federation, tour for halfpipe and alpine snowboarding. I also had some board across World Cups at that time. And all of the top riders were vocally against the FIS representing snowboarding under the IOC. So the, the IOC had a choice to make. It had to choose which organization on an international level sanctioned snowboarding. And it chose the FACE over the ISF. A bit confusing as the, the letters are the same. But, you know, none of, or the important thing there is there was a cultural divide at Olympic pathway level right from the start in snowboarding. And that made it really difficult for all the athletes because then you were you were forced to get political or at least have enough political awareness to know whether you had to pick a side. And some nations, depending on where you came from, some people had to pick a side. And I think that was really unfair because I don't think many young athletes are are getting involved in their sport for the politics. You know, some of them will become aware of it. And I think it's important to, as you, you grow as a person, to know about um, politics in the small sense of the word and and response, social responsibilities at least but it was a really contested time and that's reverberated down the years so I, I just kind of negotiated it was fortunate to be able to compete on both tours and to stay away from most of the contentious arguments at, when I'm, I was just an athlete but in retrospect I'm also wondering if that's useful or helpful as well. Um, and over the years, I've had many conversations with Matt about this subject. So is Olympics good for a sport? Is an action sport or a free sport or nature sport, whatever label you want to use, um, is, it, is it really competitive? It, does competition bring out the best side of it or the most important side? Um, it clearly is competitive because people try to outdo one another. <laughs> but... Where does it sit? What does it mean? Why is it different? How is it different from more traditional or team sports? Um, and does that matter? If it matters, why does it matter? So the blog really came from 25 years of talking about these themes. And then, you know, obviously we have, I worked for Roxy 
I rode for Roxy. I was a Roxy snowboarder, team rider, and then a team manager. And lots of my friends are still um, at Quicksilver and Roxy. And many of my friends worked in the industry. So the conversation is ongoing. And our, our very close neighbours, cousins, relatives, brothers, sisters, family, if you like, in board sports are facing really similar questions, albeit you know, now it's 2021 and, and the snowboarding conversation was in 1996. So times have moved on. However, the conversation's really similar as they head off into Olympics. And climbing is similar. It's not, they're, they're very similar conversations. And obviously snowboarding has a back country and um, more big mountain element to it where the climbing conversation often overlaps especially around risk the ethics of risk taking in a coaching scenario the you know how do you coach in a uh, risky environment what do you have to consider what does that mean for your coaching and so there there's a similar conversation in climbing and it's sport climbing that's an olympics so obviously that's a discipline of climbing and climbing like snowboarding or surfing has has many different hues you know the the surfing in the olympics is going to be very different from the big wave surfing that you might see at mavericks or you know the snowboarding that's in the olympics is not the same thing as um the stuff that travis rice is doing although the natural selection competitions this year which were really a hybrid competition format in the backcountry, a really interesting direction and also threw up a lot of the similar themes. So the bog's really a, a, a condensed brain dump from a lot of hours of discussion. And we'll thank you. And we'll definitely make sure that we link it to this because um, I think it's it sort of like it really nicely frames the, the whole thing. And um and yeah, it's fact, I, I, listening to you there, certainly around the risk thing, I think for me, one of the things that um, has always been really important within my coaching and coach development is the recognition that um, the people that I'm working with, whether they it's the performance or participation or just something that they want to go and enjoy doing on their own, um, they're not going to have a coach with them very often. It's They almost like do a touch point and then they go off. And they're going to have to be responsible <laughs> or be able to at least make decisions that keep themselves safe in an environment that potentially has got a high risk. And yeah. that, that all, to me, seemed something that was very different. And, and the, the, other, the other bit that we sort of chatted about beforehand is that um, these are sports that uh, uh, they're quite difficult to categorise and just give them one name. And I love the, you know, sort of the, the idea that it's, it's a worldview rather than just a lifestyle or an action sport, because they tend to be sports that people then stay in for their whole life. And, and as, as a participant, you know, and don't just switch, don't have this transition. Well, I'm not competitive anymore, so I'm going to go and do something else or I'll coach, but, but continue whatever else they're doing coaching or not continue to be active. And I guess the, um, becoming an Olympic sport is going to have quite a, potentially have quite a big impact on these sports. So, what do you think the uh, the sort of main impacts are? What are the main things that are likely to um, to change in these sports as they become an Olympic one, other than just more people wanting to do them? So, so first of all, I think um, I, 
I'm the eternal optimist. And I think it's a huge opportunity for these sports to, to reach a wider audience, to invite others in, to share something that is, like you say, lifelong and can bring something really great to, to your life and, and open, you know, personal doors and, and, and social doors, if you like, to lifelong learning and building some sort of meaning um, and self-awareness. And I think the ability of the, of the free sport family to, to do that, to provide an environment where that can realistically happen, as, as well as um, build community. So connection to self, connection to others, and I also think connection to environment it is something that's so incredibly valuable. I think the power of these sports is that they provide the risk, the risk elements part of this, they provide life-defining moments, moments that you remember forever. And those moments are quite often around personal achievement, overcoming barriers or goals, doing something that you had to risk your neck a little bit to do, even if you did, you know, I'm, I'm not talking here about a reckless risk. I'm talking about something that was just outside of your ability or comfort zone. Your first ollie, I still can't really ollie a skateboard. I'm still learning. I'm trying. <laughs> For all the skaters <laughs> laughing at me out there. But yeah, I'll get there. Um, ollie like a snowboarder. Um, but, you know, I know that the minute I nail an ollie moving on my skateboard, I am, you know, we use this word stoked a lot and, and I used it in the blog. But it describes the feeling of accomplishment you get when you have very, you know, you, you've determinedly worked up to a goal that you know has been outside of your, your um, ability and you have recognized it as a skill other people have. You had to consciously take the decision to, to um, you know, move forward with the risk, knowing full well that if you crash, you might hurt yourself, but you, you have to own that. Um, the environment and the nature of these action sports means that you have to own it. Um, coaching can help. You can support people to, to negotiate those kinds of situations. But the result means that it's a very, very powerful and meaningful learning experience when you achieve something. And these days, you know, now that I'm a middle-aged mum, that feeling of stoked often comes from doing something I can already do in an environment I've not been in before. So going somewhere new. This season was amazing up here in Scotland. There was snow in places where there's never been snow. So I had lots of opportunity to get stoked about doing what I can already do in a place that doesn't normally have snow. So it can be a really subtle thing in terms of the newness or the never have been done before that brings that life-defining moment but it's a life-defining moment all the same and it's more powerful if you share it with other people so that idea of connection to self life-defining moments shared experiences and then over time you realize how important the environment is in that picture and as the environment right now is is um critical you know i'm going to use that word we're facing a critical situation for humans and planet earth there, that becomes even more powerful within that learning cycle for any sport that's happening in an environment, especially if it's a snow-related environment. But you know, equally, the the oceans are are 
um, equally as affected by the climate emergency. So there, there's a really powerful um, like trio of elements that add up to give you a world view. Um, when people say oh, snowboarding or freestyle snowboarding or you know, um, surfing is a lifestyle choice, I would say it's more than that. Yes, of course, you know, I give up things purposely so that I can do these sports and I love to go surfing. I, I, I really enjoy skateboarding, but I didn't learn it young, at a young enough age. And I love to be in the mountains. I, I climb a little bit, but again, I didn't do enough of it. Maybe I'll, my, now I'm more mature and, and calculated in my risk taking, maybe climbing, I would enjoy it more. But, you know, depending on your personality and your risk tolerance, you will get drawn to one of other of these sports. And um, I think that the, the important thing is that it then affect, starts to affect how you view the world. It affects how you view everything else. And then you start to see the, the world through this lens of, I guess it's a good life in philosophy. So how, how do you create this life-defining moment that means so much in somebody's life that it can get them through thick and thin? How do you do that? That's really powerful medicine right there. And yeah, the Olympics is great. And, you know, it was, I obviously enjoyed it. I've been to three. They were, in terms of results, they were disastrous. All of them, I fell over in all three. <laughs> I know sports, sports psychologists out there would have a field day. But... It's part of a way bigger picture. The, you know, the Olympics is part of a world view. And from those snowboarding moments or free sports moments throughout my whole life, it, it keeps me happy. And I've and I realized how, how difficult that is by the time you get to middle age. If you're a happy and passionate person, then you're lucky. Sorry, ramble. <laughs> Cool. No, no, not at all. It's brilliant, and oh, and I'm just like I'm just nodding away. I mean, I've sort of, I think, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't do sports to a particularly high level, but I love all of those sports, and I'm, my skateboarding is equally rubbish for the same reasons. I'm still trying. <laughs> I have <a> skateboard, <laughs> and I, and I still get such joy and such connection, and again with the horse. It's such connection and it's almost it, do, it does feel like it just nurtures my soul to have those moments with other people it, embedded within the environment in in something that will never happen again that's you know like they are it, they are incredible um and i'm i'm guessing i'm probably going a little bit off piece from, from the original question but if we talk about coaching and what the implications be for coaching coach development having a, a huge number of people coming into these sports I think I think it'd be interesting what, what your view. I think that's a, a great opportunity. There also are some obvious, you know, people saying, "Oh, well, we don't want too many people in the environment, you know, in, in these spaces because, you know, they 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 be they're more likely to become damaged or there's a higher risk." But I I also think that if people um, love and connect to those spaces, they're far more likely to passionately. So. If I go back and, and, and more specifically answer your, your last question, because I realised I, I kind of didn't really answer it, how will it change the, the sports who are currently looking to go into Olympics? I think the coaching question is a good way to contextualise how it might change um, these sports. So obviously if, if the amazing thing about these sports is, is the potential to build those life-defining moments over and over again, um, 
then what does that mean for the conceptualization of excellence? And where does winning fit into that worldview? And a lot of the drive behind the blog was to try and unpack that question. So that's going right down to a philosophical level in terms of, you know, what's important, what's relevant, what's valuable in life and why is it valuable? If how you do it is different, does that change it? Does that change the value? And so I think what that means for the coaching side is how you coach these sports potentially will be really influential on where the value is emphasized. And you, you know, you'd like to, to think that everybody who's involved in these sports would, would want to protect the ability for those life-defining moments. Now, you need to own it. You need to be empowered to be able to have a life-defining moment. It's your moment. So obviously anything about athlete empowerment or you know, autonomy-supportive approaches to coaching, all of which are really established already. Um, and you know, there's so, much, so many great um, theories and, and research, so much great research in this area that I think we've got a lot to draw from. But because action sports are young and structure is not a thing that they naturally have had a lot of, the danger here is that the baby is thrown out with the bathwater, so to speak. So if coaching is paid for all of a sudden, so it's never been the case, certainly in skateboarding, you don't get or you haven't had paid coaches up until now. Team managers who were coaching, but the conceptualization was different because they're still aiming for those creative, life-defining, progressive, and what does progressive mean, moments, the, the elements that make up the life-defining moment. Um, that's all of a sudden described as winning an Olympic medal, what happens, or potentially what happens. Now, winning's always been there in these sports, or the best. Progression and winning, or perfection and winning, really close bedfellows. Um, inclusivity and perfection, you, know, you have to, to do quite a lot of phil- philosophical squaring the circle to, to really be able to balance those two concepts. And, and I think those are the type of deep questions that we should be considering, not just for action, free sport, free sports and cousins, other related endeavours, as, as looking sideways would say, and for all sports. Because but why, why is it important to people that, to be good at something or to be the best at something or to be progressive, to be excellent? What does that really mean? What value does it bring? What relevance does it bring to, to humans in 2021? So, you know, it, it means for these action sports, don't lose the good thing that you've got. Hold on to it. Unpack um, why you've got it, what's important within each individual culture, because they're all slightly different, that makes it possible to have those special, magical, um, you know, life-defining, the good life moments. Um, Where does it go wrong? Because it does go wrong. There's so many tales, especially in skateboarding, of, of too much of a good thing and people going off the rails and not being able to handle the you know, often it's connected to limelight or fame, but, you know, that's part of a, share, a shared value or a, um, respect for excellence. So where, in which circumstances does, does this break down within action sports? What happens when it breaks down? Cliques form, people get left out. 
it becomes the opposite of inclusive. How does that happen? Understand it. Um, know how you, you do create the good stuff, the connection to self, connection to others, connection to environment, and still be able to, to respect and honour the best person that's, that's um, you know, the most skillful person on the day, because that's important. Um, and then what can other um, sports learn from those things? And vice versa, what can action sports learn from more traditional sports? So, yeah, ho hopefully I, I start to unpack. The coaching question for me is um, don't be in a rush, pre-sports, action sports coaches. Um, question everything. Understand what relevance it has to you. Be curious. Try things out. Don't be scared to go, wait a minute, but that's not how we see it in our sport. We see it like this. How does, how does that sit with this theory, this coaching theory you're talking about? Is it compatible? Which parts are not compatible? I think it's really about opening up a conversation. Yeah, do you, um, do you think that there's a danger some of these sports, because they've gone from, like you say, very little structural coaching, we'll just try and do a copy and paste from somewhere that someone's maybe selling them a, an idea that might not fit um, or, that, or that they'll lose some of the there's a progressiveness isn't there within the sports when it's just about being the best and you get lots of creativity but once you make it um, like an Olympic competition you have to kind of like reduce that so that everybody's competing to do the same thing am I making sense rather than that yeah. being constantly progressing <laughs> or, or do you or do you? Yeah. So, you know, if you look at freestyle snowboarding in the way the rules are written. So this is where in the blog, I, I, a piece of advice is look after the rules. Don't set the rules and formats in a way that they, they spite or cut off creativity and innovation. Um, and, you know, even in, in terms of codes of conduct, you know, do you go out heavily on a rule-based code of conduct or do you go on a virtue-based code of conduct? It's a philosophical approach to how you see the world and how you see people and what, what value you place on the learning. So, you know, is it linear or is it holistic? Is it valuable just for the individual? Is it valuable for everybody? If so, why? What does that mean? So I think it's, it, to a certain extent, yes, there's a huge danger that these sports go down that route because that's the the status quo. If you take something, especially in the judged disciplines, you take something like gymnastics or ice skating or you know a, a judged sport that's been in the Olympics longer and is more established, then they, their formats are really constraining and their environments are set. They don't change. And the whole point is to try and replicate exactly the same trick and movement and do it slightly more in a more perfect way. Now, to me, that's, that oh, um, doesn't make sense. It's, it's um, cutting off the opportunity for growth. So what would happen, and I guess this is perhaps... Um, you know, free, free running or, or tricking or parkour. If you change the environment for gymnasts every single competition and you left open to their inter interpretation, could you set the rules in a way that allowed that to happen so it was still fair 
but not so constrained that there was no progression anymore. There was only perfection. So I think progression and perfection are not the same thing. And what would we learn from doing that um, in general as humans? How would that increase human capacity through the excellent and amazing gymnasts that would interpret and, and work with that environment with the help of their coaches? Where could that go? Um, I mean, I guess that's a bit Cirque du Soleil, isn't it? Um, but could you do it still in a way that, that was conceptualised as fair? What does fair mean? Again, this is a great question. What, in this context, if learning and progression and, and human excellence in sports, so high-level skill and everything that comes with this, I'm not thinking of skill as a narrow physical concept here. It's, it's being able to handle everything about the environment and yourself. Then um, what, what does it mean for the, the way we conceptualise the word fair? And that's a conversation that's stretching into to lots of areas um, these days in terms of, of what does fair mean? What is equal access? What is equity, equality, and um, diversity, inclusion? What do those terms really mean? How do you enact them? Um, so, yeah, again, I'm, I'm jumping to the real bottom philosophical roots of, of um, the question, but I think it's worth doing that. And I agree. I think it's so important because that's where um, I think that's the that's where the, the bits that matter need to be organised. It's almost like if you can get that, if you can explore that bit, then the rest of it becomes much easier to navigate. How how we do it in snowboarding, or how we've tried to do it, and, and you know, it's it's not a um, fail-safe model by any chance. We've made loads of mistakes, and we'll continue to do so. I'm sure, but. There's loads of discussion back and forward between the, you know, the park and pipe community and the judges working group. And we experiment with judging formats and we change them and we try out new ones. And, um, you know, the rules are able to change. They're, they're, there's a process through which they are proposed, reviewed, talked about, voted on. Shall we try this out? Shall we not? If they don't work, we kick them back out and, and go back to what we had or change it again. The formats of the, for example, slope style courses, they can change. The, each course is different. Um, Any time, you know, a World Cup is on, you you know roughly what to expect, but each course is, is different. Um, there are, there's discussion at the moment about what do we do with half pipe? It's potentially come a, become a bit stale. How do we shake that up? Is it the judging formats? Is it, can you change the half pipe? What does that look like? What does that mean? Um, how do you keep that fair? So it's an ongoing evolution. And I, I think that's important in any sport to, to open up the discussion about how, how do you keep things interesting? How do you keep providing these life-defining moments? How do you keep learning? And in a lot of sports, I see that as being a bit stale. There isn't room. You know, if you suggested to change the formats or the, the field of play in most sports, um, I don't think you'd have... Or you know, you'd you'd be considered probably a bit mad. <laughs> yeah, you'd probably get quite a lot of resistance. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I'm I'm aware that uh, that um, we're, we're probably getting close to, to wrapping up, and I could I, I could just have this conversation all day. Um, I definitely need to to come back and talk to you again. I think this listening to what you're saying, one of the things that sort of popped into my head that I wrote down was that. Um, you know, do you think there would be um, or, or an opportunity 
and, and maybe a value if people who are working within coach development spend some time in, in a number of other sports so that, you know, or, or, or numbers of sports working together, having this more deep philosophical conversations about what their coach development, you know, what, what the sport means, what they want from it, what does that mean for coaches, what does that mean for coach development? Um, you know, like, can we can we learn from each other and really explore each other's sports and understanding and ideas so that, um, that we haven't got these little pockets, whether they're in a particular sport or even factions of a sport, as we sometimes get trying to do all of that themselves with perhaps unintentionally quite a, um, you know, a narrower worldview that is affected from the social cultural sort of background of their sport and themselves. I think that's a really good yeah, that's a really good question and I think that um, it's always going to be valuable for coach developers to get together and, and share ideas whether or not that's on the series of coaching and their application and their usefulness so that's you know what you're doing when you're in the field of play working with the coach and how do you you know the um, the inter-intra-personal relationships, the theories that you're talking about, the application of these theories, the the under the philosophical underpinnings of the theories. But I think there's a usefulness in opening up a broader conversation, even still on sport and especially excellence in sport. You know what what is important about it? Why is it important? Are there similarities throughout the different sports? Why do people get so passionate about any sport what is it that's drawing them back because that's really important and that's a special thing you know I, I don't just love these sports I love all sports and spent my entire childhood going to a different sport club every night from everything from you know swimming to ice skating to skiing to biking to disco dancing to whatever was going and so I, I think if you talk to anyone who's passionate about any sport, they will be able to describe how important it is to them in their life in whichever way makes sense to them. And I think we miss that. So we get so concentrated in on how to do it well and you know, what's the aim? Okay, are, are we doing this the best way for this person to get to their aim? That we sometimes miss the why is this important in the big picture? So I, I think there's a usefulness for creating space for those conversations without losing all the other great conversations at the same time. Okay, nice to finish on the why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why, why, why we do that? Why is yeah. and and yeah, and I guess making uh, or or thinking about the future of the sports of coaching of coach development and and um and why it's important that 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 allows like you say this progression and it doesn't get stuck it doesn't constrain it doesn't handcuff the sports um in a way that perhaps would um would lose some of um what um is uniquely wonderful about them so yeah absolutely <laughs> thank you so much leslie is there anything you'd like to add in sort of like you know, um, final thoughts or anything that you would like to add before we, we wrap up? Um, final thoughts are, I, I just think that it, within the field of coach development and coaching in general, 
I think it's so exciting at the moment because there are so many interesting conversations happening. And I, I just get so enthusiastic about it all. There's so much I feel I don't know. And I'm like, oh, that person sees things so differently from me. Let's talk to them. So I, I think that we have a massive opportunity to, to really um, germinate so many great ideas. And who knows what great things can happen from doing that. And sports, such a, a powerful, positive factor in people's lives that we're, we're in a really privileged position to be able to do that. Brilliant. Yeah, I, I 100%, million percent agree. And, and, I, and I guess, um, although it's lovely to be spending time with people face to face, at least having the opportunity to have those conversations in communities and practice remotely has also opened up because I mean, I have great conversations with people in the States and Australia on a regular basis that I would never have been able to do face to face. So, yeah, lovely. Keep talking. Thank you so much, Leslie. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, I look forward to having more conversations with you. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. Have a lovely Thank day. To <laughs> you. Thank you. Join us at ukcoaching.org. Whatever you're doing to help people be active and improve, we can help you deliver great coaching experiences at a time to suit you.